Welcome to the QAV Investing Podcast. My name is Cameron Riley. I will be your guide. I'm the co-host and producer of the show. If you've listened to us before, feel free to skip ahead a minute. But for the brand new folks, welcome. I'll do a little bit of an intro so you know what you're getting yourself into here. This is a, a podcast about investing that I've been doing for the last few years with my mate, Tony Kynaston. Tony's uh, based in Sydney, very successful investor, been doing it for 30 years. Uh, he's uh, done very well out of it, and his average return is about 19.5% per annum, which if you know nothing about investing, that's pretty good. It's about double the market average and far better than most of the funds and professionals out there get, and he achieves that by following a system, uh, a methodology that he's developed over the last 30 years that he calls QAV, quality at value, buying quality stocks when you can buy them at the right price at a discounted price. And that's what he teaches us on this podcast is how to do that. Um, But, uh, you know, on this podcast, you'll hear some terminology that you may not be familiar with uh, and maybe some inside baseball jokes that may go over your head. Don't worry so much about that. At the end of the episode, if I'll tell you where you can go back to the beginnings and listen to our introduction episodes and all that kind of stuff and get your head around it. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about Maya becoming a sell in the last week, Tony's problems with Howard Marks's latest memo, uh, a new checklist sheet that we published this week and why, and our stocks of the week, including Tony's uh, deep dive or pulled pork as we call it on Beach Energy, BPT. But uh, without any further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back to QAV, TK. Hi, Ken. Congratulations. Thank you. Let me start with that. Yeah, magic millions. It's been a big week. What's better, like a horse winning a race or selling a horse? Oh, good question. Probably a horse winning a race, but it's still good to have some cash flow to to fund it. (laughs) So magic millions was busy last week. Big sale on the Gold Coast for, for horse people. We had a colt out of a, a mare called Suzura, and it went to sale late Friday afternoon. And before the sale, we thought we'd be lucky to get $200,000 for it. We thought about 150, which was still a good result because it was, uh, we bought it in foal to a, a horse called Harry Angel, a sire. And the, the sire doesn't charge very much in this case. Sometimes they charge 150 grand. This one charges 16 grand for a service. So it wasn't an expensive buy for us. During the, the week, the new records were set with the horses that were selling. So we could sort of ride on the back of that. We owned half. I touched base with the other owner. who was up there and said, you know, what do you think we should do for a reserve? He said, well, I think it's going to go for 200. And I said, you want to make that the reserve? And he said, I don't think we should make a reserve at all. It's just going to could go north of that. So we said, okay, we'll put it in reserve. He'd done a good job. He's in the industry. He'd done a good job of lining up some trainers to make sure we had some bidders, some, some price action. I'd spoken to a couple of trainers I knew they were going to have a look. One of them was going to bid, asked us to retain a share in the horse. We said we would as long as it sold for more than 200 Otherwise, we'd take the cash. So a lot of toing and froing going on behind the scenes. Anyway, long story short, went to auction, blew past 200 blew past 250 blew past 300 and sold for 400 grand. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, really exciting. And you and yet you're sober enough to do the show today. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> well, I was home here by myself. I took Jenny up to the airport on Friday just before the sale. So uh no one to celebrate with except virtually. 
<laughs> oh, well, that's a shame. Congratulations. Thank you. It's nice to have a win. Yeah, it was. Really good. So that's, uh, that's good cash flow for our business going forward for a while. Nice to have a win as opposed to those of us that own Maya. Finally had to sell Maya today. Thanks for nothing, Jeff Wilson. Oh, I don't think it's Jeff Wilson. I think it's Dominic Perrottet and the other state premiers. I, I mean, there's a lot of information out there saying that retail's had a dip because of Omicron. No one's oh. prepared to go out. Still lots of online sales, but you know, who wants to go and stand in a Maya store when there's a virulent flu going around? Pretty much everyone from what I can gather because <laughs> – well, you know, when the government, I don't know about down there, but up here, the government stopped reporting contact sites. Yep. They just gave up on contact tracing. They're like, ah, why the hell did we bother? Or why are we bothering to check in? But um, there's a couple of Facebook groups that's set up where people are doing their own contact tracing, which I'm part of. And I was looking at the, so people, if they get a positive test, they post their own contact tracing history. And every one of them seems to have been everywhere. Like they've just been going to a million places and going in constantly. I'm like, well, no wonder you got it. What What did you think was going to happen? Yeah. Anyway, so I just assume that I'm the only one who's staying at home and playing it safe. Everyone else is just going about life like it's uh, normal out there. I'm the same. And I, I even had a couple of friends who were going to come down and visit on the weekend. And the last minute they said, they both had family members with COVID and I said, well, maybe not a good idea to come down. <laughs> I was talking with Jenny today, so she's back up in Sydney at the apartment, settled in because she had some work commitments. And I said, how is it? And she said, well, you know, I went out. she went out today. No one's wearing a mask. Well, lots of people aren't wearing masks. There's seven apartments with COVID in their apartment building. So it's just, you know, it's everywhere. <laughs> Howard Marks, latest memo, Tony. Did you have a read? I did. I read it this morning. Thanks for sending it through and with the notes. What a load of horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> you just wank on paper I've read for all week. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, look, there was some of it I thought was on message for us. Like, you know, he starts off the basic idea. Everyone is familiar with the old saw that's supposed to capture investing's basic proposition buy low, sell high. It's a hackneyed caricature of the way most people view investing. But few things that are important can be distilled into just four words. Thus, buy low, sell high is nothing but a starting point for discussion of a very complex process. And he goes on to say what I've heard you say a lot of times, you don't sell high, you uh, ride it out. Like he talks about Amazon. Everyone wishes they bought Amazon at $5 on the first day of 1998, since it's now up 660 times at $3,304. But who would have continued to hold when the stock hit $85 in 1999, up 17 times in less than two years? Who among those who held on would have been able to avoid panicking in 2001 as the price fell 93% to $6? And who wouldn't have sold? by late 2015 when it hit $600, up 100 times from the 2001 low. Yet anyone who sold at $600 captured only the first 18% of the overall rise from the low. And I thought, okay, well, that's exactly what Tony would say. You don't sell, you ride your winners. 
And, you know, it's going to, but it went downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) No, he makes a good point. And I I suspect if I did own Amazon, I probably would have sold it along the way because I'm sure it's had its ups and downs and three-point trend line sells and rebuys and all the rest of it. If it had ever come on the QAV buy list, which it never did because, you know, it took a long time for it to make money. And it's not on the buy list now. Even if we're doing overseas stocks, it wouldn't be on the buy list now because it's got a high PE ratio. So or ratio of prop cap. So the reason why I think um, Howard Marks was jerking us all off is because he went through a lot of the old sores and a lot of things that we've talked about in the market, adages like buy low, sell high. And he talked about, well, so when do you sell? And he said, well, here are all the things you shouldn't do. You shouldn't sell just because you made a profit. You shouldn't sell just because the stock went down, et cetera, et cetera, all those sort of obvious things. But he never told you when you do sell. He basically said it's a judgment call. Well, fuck that. <laughs> Is he the omnipotent eye of Sauron who can make him you know, perfect judgment every time? He didn't tell you how he makes judgment. He didn't say, here are the rules I live by when I have to make a judgment on a sale. He just said it's a judgment call. Shove that. You need to sell horses more often. <laughs> the other whole other side of your personality is coming out today. <laughs> well, I just thought it would have been a more useful article if he said, here's how I sell, and there were some rules around it or a framework around it, other than I make a judgment call. I stick a finger in the air, a wet finger in the air, and see which way the wind blows. <laughs> when should investors sell on page four? And he recounts his fictional conversation with his son that we talked about a while back. And then he goes into uh, aphorisms like no one ever went broke taking a profit may be relevant to people who invest part-time for themselves, but they should have no place in professional investing. And I think you'd agree with that, you know, and that we have plenty of new or sometimes uh, quite experienced QAV subscribers who say, come on, it's up. 50%, 50%, it's up 100%. Surely we should sell. Taylor and I have this conversation all the time. He's like furious now that he didn't sell Maya when it was up 70% four months ago. We did sell and I think we made 20% on it in six months. So I'm not complaining on making a 20% profit on six months. But if we'd sold it four months ago, we would have made 70% on it. You can't think that way. That's that's hindsight bias, right? Yeah, you can't pick the top. Exactly. If we could pick the top, that'd be a rule, but it's not because you can't do it. He said there's certainly, this is back to Howard, there certainly are good reasons for selling, but they have nothing to do with the fear of making mistakes, experiencing regret and looking bad. Rather, these reasons should be based on the outlook for the investment, not the psyche of the investor, and they have to be identified through hard-headed financial analysis, rigour and discipline. I was like, oh, good, let's get to that bit. (laughs) He didn't really get to that bit. (laughs) He didn't, did he? He didn't tell us what his rules were, yeah. Well, maybe he's not giving away the secret, the magic like you do. If you just take that statement, even if you don't know what his rules are, there's been plenty of times when the numbers tell us one thing, like the hard facts tell us one thing, but the share price is still going south because the information isn't out in the market yet. There's a select group of people who know that the MD is about to retire or resign or a competitor is about to take one of their key customers or whatever, and so the price starts going south. That's why we use sentiment as our framework, one of the reasons why we sell, probably the prime reason why we sell. And you can see that from the buy list. Our watch list is twice as big as our buy list because there are just as many companies who have good figures, who, but the share price is going south that we don't want to buy. So it's the same sort of thing. So Howard's fine to say, yeah, do some hard-headed financial analysis. He doesn't tell us how, and it's not the full picture. 
He's also coming from the view, I think, reading through it, that he's a long-term investor. So like your classic value investor, he, if he believes in the business, he's willing to ride through the ups and downs. He says, as mentioned earlier, investors often engage in selling because they believe a decline is imminent and they have the ability to avoid it. The truth, however, is that buying or holding even at elevated prices and experiencing a decline is in itself far from fatal. Usually every market high is followed by a higher one and after all, only the long-term return matters. Reducing market exposure through ill-conceived selling and thus failing to participate fully in the market's positive long-term trend is a cardinal sin in investing. That's even more true of selling without reason things that have fallen turning negative fluctuations into permanent losses and missing out on the miracle of long-term compounding. But of course, just because you sell it doesn't mean it's a permanent loss because you can buy it again when it comes back up, right? Or you can buy the next thing on the buy list, which might be going up much stronger. So again, I don't disagree with what he's saying. He just doesn't tell us what he does and what his rules are. Well, I think he's saying that, you know, if he likes a business, he'll hold it until he doesn't like the business anymore. Whereas the magic, you know, I've come to believe that part of the magic of QAV is how you've moderated that hardcore value investing view, which is buy and hold forever, to, well, even if you think it's really good, if everyone else doesn't, the price is going to go down and could go down further and could stay down. So get your ego out of the equation and just go, okay. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, bow out for a little bit and see what happens. Buy something else. Well put, Cam. That's exactly right. And the other dimension to that is that the way that I invest is not to get that immersed in trying to understand the company I'm investing in. I, I do a cursory analysis of it. But someone like Howard Marks, I imagine, would have a hotline to the chairman or the CEO and would be able to ring them up and say, hey, what's happening? You know, how are you feeling today? What's going on, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have a hope in hell of investing that way. And so he's saying that he'll invest until he doesn't like something in the company. Yet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He'll, he'll keep investing until he doesn't like something in the company. It's probably more informed than what, than what we could be as retail investors. Okay. Good to get your feedback on that. I thought, uh, I thought that would be fun. I want to give a shout out to Jeremy and Brent, who uh, published some of the returns they're getting on their QAV portfolios on Facebook in the last week or so, getting uh, incredible returns. Well done. Well done, guys. Well done to everyone out there who is using QAV and getting better returns than I do. Congratulations. <laughs> and I'm not complaining about mine, but you know, some people have just <laughs> timing thing when you buy and all that kind of stuff, but they're doing very, very well. Well done, guys. And thanks for sharing too. Yeah, it's always good for me to hear those stories, to know that people out there are actually putting it into practice and doing very well. That's great. I want to point out to people, I did post this on Facebook today, but there's a new version of the AF sheet I put up today. Thank you, as always, to Andrew Flitman for doing the work on that. As you know, uh, when we compare our checklists every week, I've noticed that the scoring has been a little bit out. You'll get a 0.9 for something and I'll get a 0.1 and I was never quite sure why. I worked it out. There was a, a formula. I don't remember when we did this, but in the Bible it says if the when we're doing yield minus PE, in the Bible it says if the PE is blank, the score should be blank, which is what your sheet was doing. The AF sheet wasn't doing that. I don't know if 
we changed that at some point and I didn't tell Andrew or we missed it in, in the first modeling. I don't think it would be that because Andrew's very, very good but at uh, translating your model over. But anyway, so that's changed now, so it should uh, fix the scoring. I don't think it's, it's not going to be a big deal for anybody, but it just changed the final score by 0.03 or something in some cases. But if that's enough with the rounding to get something that's point. You had 0.093 and rounded it down to 0.09. Mine was getting 0.096 and rounding it up to 0.10. You know, it was just annoying me and taking a lot of my time to work it out. Vuck, Tony, you said Vuck is getting close to its buy price. <laughs> VUK, Virgin UK. It's been on the buy list in the past. We sold it about 12 months ago, I think, from memory, and uh, it's now getting close. So I put a, an alert in the stock doctor, but if it keeps going um, in the next week or so, it'll probably come back on the buy list. It's a large ADT stock. People need that. Um, keep an eye out for VUK. Very good. Well, the stocks of the week this week were MFD, good old MFD. They come and they go on a regular basis, Mayfield Child Care. And I did post uh, my blog post about it. They're a small cap stock of the week. The last time they were a stock of the week was February 2020, a, like a week before the COVID crash. And <laughs> <laughs> but they're well above where they were price-wise when we had them as our stock of the week. So if they, if anyone did a Howard Marks and bought and held, they've, they've done quite <laughs> well out of it. But yes, obviously not Mayfield's fault that the uh, market crashed and they crashed along with it. But they're back on, and a large cap stock of the week this week was Beach Energy, BPT, another one that we've seen come and go on a regular basis. Yeah, so I'm going to make that my pulled pork if I can do that now. So um, as you alluded to, it's been on the buy list in the past, and it's back on now. The couple of things, I guess, is background for it. The oil prices has been increasing recently, and that's not unusual this time of year because it's the northern winter. So they're kind of the flip side of what we are in summer. So in summer, our power stations work round the clock because everyone's turning on their aircon units. But in winter, it, it, we don't need much heating. But uh, in Europe, it's the reverse. So in winter, the power stations crank up because everyone's trying to heat their homes. And getting less and less these days, but certainly over the last couple of decades, uh, a lot of the homes were being heated by burning fuel oil, by a type of oil, like a low-grade oil. And so the oil prices in the northern winter generally go up. So it could be short-term, but it's also being supported by another thing that's going on, a macro trend, which is the fact that because uh, oil is on the nose in terms of the, the ESG investors, and even to the point where they pressure the banks these days not to lend to oil companies to try and reduce the carbon footprint of the world. And I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, but there's been less, much less exploration in new oil discoveries in the last couple of years than is normal. And so it's one of the reasons why the oil price is going up because the existing producers um, have less competition. A couple of other factors too, like uh, in the Northern Hemisphere winter, because oil is, uh, when it's being drilled, it often goes through reserves of water and, and pulls out water as well, it freezes. And uh, the water, if it freezes on the drilling rigs, can shut them down for long periods of time. And so that's happening. And there was apparently some kind of cold spell in Texas, which is unusual, but the oil rigs froze there. So uh, they've been out of the market for a while. So lots of things are going on to sort of keep the oil price elevated, which all plays into a good story for stocks like Beach Energy. 
They're also a, a natural gas explorer and producer. Natural gas is a funny one because it's actually better to power a power plant using natural gas than it is to use coal, but the ESG people still say they're both bad. But there has been a, and there still is an ongoing conversion of coal power plants to to natural gas. So that's also supporting the price. And, and oftentimes contracts for the gas are tied to the oil price. So they tend to go in lockstep, but both of those commodity graphs are, um, are going up. So that's the background to Beach. We have a couple of things about Beach Energy. One of the reasons why it came off the buy list last time was because they had a surprise downgrade. They eventually got around to telling the market that they didn't have as much oil reserves under the ground in their oil fields as they'd stated in the past. So that caused the price to crash. I guess that's now baked into the share price. So the fact that it's turning up again is taking that into account. A couple of other things, though. The MD resigned unexpectedly at the end of last year. So we need to be cognizant of that. I don't think they've appointed anyone yet. There's an acting, the CFO is an acting MD. So that's another risk, I guess, to the stock. The last sort of background story to the stock is that the Stokes family through their seven group company owns about 30% of the stock. That can be a good thing and a bad thing. If you look at what they did with Borrell, I guess in the short term, it's good. I don't know how it'll play out in the long term. But what they have a track record of doing with other companies as well is buying a, a stake that gets them a seat on the board and then using what's called the creep provision to be able to buy more stock without launching a takeover, a formal takeover. So one of the problems with a company like Beach, if it has a large shareholder on the base, is that it makes it less attractive for someone to launch a takeover bid. So even though the price crashed and the fundamentals were still strong and the oil price is rising, and there has been merger and acquisition activity going on in the Australian oil and gas scene, it makes it hard for someone to launch a takeover bid for something like Beach Energy. So that takes that kind of upswing in the share price potential out of the stock. So that's an issue. And then if, if the seven group keeps creeping up on the register without launching a takeover, then uh, they'll get to a stage where they'll effectively control the company. That can be good and bad. There's a, a case in the past where it's been bad, where the seven group then use their control to buy other assets they owned at prices that uh, were probably unrealistic compared to what you get in the market. And so the, the company became stuffed with assets and eventually, I think it eventually went broke. I won't talk about which company that was because I don't want to be litigated against, but that's essentially what happened. And uh, But in the other case of Borrell, it seems to have worked out for shareholders because the, they did exert enough pressure to turn around the company. And um, so that's working out there. So it can be good or bad. So I know I'm sitting on the fence with the Stokes owning 30% of beach energy, but it is something to watch and just be be aware that it can have positive and negative implications for the company. That all aside, I guess we just go straight to the numbers. That's pretty much it. I was going to talk about the oil price a bit further and say that as the oil price rises, there's been some stories in the press saying that some analysts are saying oil can reach $200 a barrel. It's now sitting around 80 odd in, in the 80s a barrel. So a long way, a lot, a lot of upside. And they're basing that analysis around the fact that, um, well, like I said before, less exploration going on, ESG squeezing on, producers being able to explore, and, and therefore the existing people should be able to command a bigger margin for what's left. And that's there's some certain truth about that. However, in the last decade or so, both Russia and the US have acted as kind of valves against the oil price going too high because 
there are shale oil producers in the US who lie, lie dormant until the oil price gets up around $100 a barrel and then they come back on because they can make money at $100 a barrel. And so they almost become like a pressure valve for the oil price getting too high. And Russia's a bit the same. So they've done a deal now with OPEC to throw in with the cartel in terms of trying to regulate the price and keep the margin up. But they also have a history of going rogue and uh, when, they, when they need to, selling lots of oil, which brings money to them, but, but drops the price in the market. So they're the two, I guess, issues around the oil price. To me, all that summed up says that I think $100 is about the natural limit in this market to the oil price, but it's a prediction. It could be wrong. Anyway, QAV by the numbers are quite good for this company. I'm using a share price of $1.40, which is less than the consensus target for Beach Energy. So that's a a score of um, one for us. It is a low-yield company, and I I guess I I question why it even has a yield. I think it's about 1.5%. I expect the answer is so that they can release some of the franking credits on the balance sheet. They've been paying tax on their earnings, and they, they can release some of that back as a credit to their shareholders. They don't want to pay a whole heap in yield because they do want to put money back into exploring for oil and developing their own oil and gas fields. So that's probably why it's about 1.5%. Financial health is strong and steady. Prop cap on this one currently is 4.2 times, so makes a good value stock for us. The price is slightly higher than IV1, less than IV2, and less than two times IV2. So it gets a, a couple of points on the checklist for those things. Net equity per share is around $1.35. And as I said before, the share price is $1.40. So it's trading around its book price and certainly less than book plus 30%, which is a a good uh, test for us in terms of value. So it gets a point for that. The interesting thing is that the the analysts are forecasting earnings per share growth of 60% on this company. So they're certainly seeing, I guess the analysts are bullish on the oil price and they're certainly probably also bullish on Beach Energy getting its shit together. So um, that's probably why it's uh, forecast growth so high, but it means it's the growth over PE metric that we look at is quite strong. It's greater than five times, which is very strong. Stock Doctor is stating that directors' holdings are only 1.79%, which is a bit misleading because the Stokes family have, as I said before, 30% via their seven group company. And the, the seven group company has uh, at least one director on the board and maybe even two. So um, that's a bit misleading. But if I overwrite the spreadsheet and give that a, a one, it doesn't change the QAV score very much. So I haven't. I've left it, left it down. But people may want to do that. It gets a zero for the lowest P of the last six halves. It's, it's almost that, but it's not. It gets a one for a new upturn because, as I said before, it was um, crashing last year. It's just been turning around since its last results were out. Gets a one for consistently increasing equity. So total score is 12 out of 14 for quality, which is 86%, which is good. And if you add the Stokes um, shareholding back, it's 13 out of 14, which is even better. QAV score of 0.2 and 0.22 if you add the, the Stokes score back in. So, yeah, for a large cap stock, it's certainly scoring well for us. Very good. Thank you for that. Let me ask you a question, though. While we're talking about OPEC, why doesn't the World Trade Organization uh, slap them around for collusion? <laughs> well, I don't know if they can. I, I, it's a good question. I'm not sure of the history of it, but how would you do that? There's no sort of – someone could take them to court, I guess. But again, does the WTO rules on disputes? I don't know if it actually has the legal ability to break up a cartel in Saudi Arabia and its friends. <laughs> could just The rest of the world could just say, well, we're not buying your oil anymore unless you cut it out. Well, it's what kind of happened when, um, I mean, OPEC came under a lot of pressure in the Obama years when shale oil became big in the US. 
this is an interesting thing about the US economy is that like when I was visiting there from Canada, you could buy fuel for equivalent, I'd say about 25 cents a litre. I mean, they sold it in dollars per gallon. You had to convert it and all the rest of it, but it was very, very cheap. That's now change. 25 cents Aussie? Oh, I think so. Something like that. Yeah. A litre. Wow. I think I did the calculation once and it was very cheap. So yeah, much, much cheaper than what we paid for it. That's now risen. So that's a drag on the US economy because the shale oil, all of the shale oil providers, as I said before, can't make money when the oil price is low. And it got down to, I think it was about $35 a barrel during the COVID cough. That put all the shale operators um, into care and maintenance mode. They'll come back. And, and so it is a drag on the US economy. The oil price is rising, but I don't think it will go too high because I said before that the shale oil companies will open up again, price will go down. But that shale oil buffer, I guess, for world oil production put OPEC under a lot of pressure. Then Russia came in and said, well, stuff you guys, we're going to go our own way because um, you guys are under pressure because of the shale oil in the US. And they had to do a lot of singing and dancing to get the cartel to hold together in the last 10 years or so. It's now back on track. Russia's joined up with them again and the shale oil producers in the US have been mothballed for a while, but uh, that, that might just be a holding pattern. Plus the Saudis know they could do anything they want and get away with it. They they funded 9-11 attacks, got away with it, killed Khashoggi, chopped him up in a bathtub with an axe, got away with it. Eh, they can do whatever they want. Eh, they, they basically <laughs> can get away with anything, allegedly. No, there's no allegedly. <laughs> it's, not, it's not allegedly. I'm not saying anything because I think you're right. They can do whatever they want. I don't need to be on the wrong end of that statement. Uh, hey, I love the Saudis, but they can get away with whatever they want. Well, that's, let's, uh, anything else? So we get into Q&A. Let's go into Q&A, thanks. Well, that's all the time we have on the free episode today. For new listeners, I'll just let you know that we have a free episode and a club episode every week. Club episode goes for a bit longer, normally half an hour to an hour longer, where we get into answering questions from our club members. For example, on this week's club episode, we talked about whether or not we should be looking at West Texas or Brent crude oil commodity prices for deciding whether or not oil is a buy or a sell. We talked about Martin Roth's book, Top Stocks for 2022, and some analysis Tony's done recently on how Martin Roth's recommendations compared to the QAV list, which led to some interesting ideas about how uh, we could change some things up. We were uh, talking also about uh, paying attention to announcements that come out at this time of the year, confession season, and what impact interest rate rises might have on QAV in the coming months. But that's in the club edition. Um, if you're just uh, wanting to get started checking out more about uh, QAV, go up to the website uh, or go into your podcast player. And I recommend listening to episode 301. That is season three, episode one. That is where we get into Tony's background, how he developed QAV. Um, we did it. You might go, why is it season three? Well, we did do it in season one, but then we re-recorded it at the beginning of COVID when things were a little bit quiet and we decided we could do a better job on telling that story after we had a year or two uh, under our belt and doing the podcast. So we did a, a better version of the introduction episode, 301. And then episodes 303 and 305 are where we explain the checklist and, and how it works. So when you're ready, no hurry, but when you're ready and you want to get some background, they're free episodes. You can go listen to those. Um, 
And then if you want to check out the club stuff, uh, go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au, and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get access to the premium episodes. You also get access to our private Facebook community where we uh, support each other in our investing. Uh, you get access to the checklist, to the Getting Started Guide, the Bible, uh, access or invites to our VIP dinners if you become a club member, um, all this sort of stuff. A lot of benefits there. But you can just keep listening to the free episodes for as long as you like, too. There's no pressure with that. Uh, also, you might want to join our newsletter. Go up to our website and sign up for our free newsletter. If you haven't already done that, we put out a couple of stock tips each week at the moment that you can uh, take advantage of. Our club members get access to a full buy list that we publish every week, which has about 100 stocks on it that are stack ranked. But we give out a couple of free ones at the moment to our free newsletter subscribers that are doing quite well, by the way. Our free stock tips over the last few months have done very well. Uh, What else? Uh, That's it. That's all I can think of. So uh, we'll be back next week. Take care, stay safe, and good luck with your investing. QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217182. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. Thank you.